Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, or, uh, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angel to show His servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Him who does what is right continue to do what is right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! And let him who hears say, Come! Whoever is thirsty, let him come! And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us so deeply that you would reveal and unveil the revelation of these last days described in this book. And God, you've given us great hope and confidence and assurance. God, you've inspired us. You've lifted us. But nothing compared to what's coming. And we're looking forward to it. And one day, not long from now, we'll be changed in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. 
and we'll be in your presence and it will all be over. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come this morning and work in our hearts. You're going to do a very specific and unique work in each of us. But draw us closer as a result of this time today to the feet of Jesus, to fellowship with our Savior, and to a love of God that transcends anything we've ever experienced before, that we might honor you and please you and bring you glory and praise all the days of our lives. And everyone said, Amen. There are several words that we have learned along the way as we've been studying Revelation. We've actually learned one that we've we've spoken many times and we're going to go ahead and say it again. It's hallelujah. 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 It means praise the Lord. And He's worthy of our praise. I'm going to teach you a new one today. Probably most of you know it, but not very many of us use it on a regular basis and I think that that would be an appropriate thing for us to do. It's a word that was used throughout the early church ages. It was a watchword for the church through times of persecution. It was actually an Aramaic term that Paul used in the final chapter of 1 Corinthians in verse 22. And that word is Maranatha. It means, come Lord Jesus. Say that with me. Maranatha. 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 When we say that word, what we're indicating is we're saying, Lord Jesus, come, but we're also reminding one another of our goal. We're reminding one another of the final end of all things, and that's the coming of Christ for His bride, for us, for you, to bring you into His eternal kingdom with joy and gladness. We're going to be using that word a few times along the way, and I'm going to ask for your help, so be ready, okay? To say the word Maranatha. Okay. John begins this text in chapter 22 by talking about this angel who showed him the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. This river has been described many times. In fact, in the book of Genesis, we have a river in God's garden. Psalm 46 that Dana didn't even know I was going to reference today that he read at the beginning of our sermon says that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place, the new Jerusalem. Jesus likened this river to the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7. Listen to what he says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And the scripture gives a commentary. He says, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to later receive. You know what's interesting about this is that Jerusalem has no river. There is no river in Jerusalem. It's one of the few cities that doesn't have a river. In fact, one of the kind of requirements of anybody that was thinking about building a city was you need water. But Jerusalem has no river because God himself will present to us a river of living water in the middle of that city. And it speaks of the infilling and indwelling and constant nourishment and thirst-quenching qualities of His Spirit. 
Nobody else can give the Holy Spirit but God. No one else can offer it. No one else can give you abundant life that overflows except God and the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're told that this river is as clear as crystal. It means like a sparkling, beautiful crystal glass. Yesterday I had the privilege of, of being with the Johnson family as we had a memorial service in Hanalei at 6.30 in the morning at Hanalei Pier for our brother John Johnson who died last week. And as we got out on the end of the pier, it was like glass out there. It was like a lake. It was like, a, it was just, there was, it wasn't a ripple on the water. And as we were walking out, I, just, I was astounded at the, the, the sand bottom and the little rivulets in the, in the sand at the bottom were just like there was no water there at all. It was like you could reach through the water and touch it. It was that clear. And I thought, wow. Because I was preparing this message, I thought, the river of God. Beautiful. Wondrous. Pure. And it's flowing from the throne of God down through the middle of the city street. As I mentioned, the Garden of Eden had this river, but because of the disobedience of man that we'll talk about in a moment, man was refused access to this river any longer. Just a terrible shame. Just a tragedy in human history. And yet God is going to let us drink of that river again. In fact, even now, if you're a believer, you are already drinking from those deep, flowing, bubbling streams of living water through His Spirit. Isn't it wonderful? Is there anything like Him? Is there anything like being related to the Spirit of God? And I've shared this with you before, but for years as a Christian, I, I didn't really have a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. I was a little bit put off by excesses that I saw sometimes in the church, and I, and I didn't really feel comfortable. I'd never really seen someone living in a living, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit that didn't make me feel kind of strange or like it was being taken out of scriptural context. But there's nothing more wondrous or beautiful or awesome or privileged than for us as believers to have a living, moment-by-moment relationship with the Holy Spirit. And He wants to give it to you. He's available even now. If you'll let Him. If you'll listen. If you'll seek Him. If you'll allow Him to lead you. And in this city of God, this new Jerusalem that's going to come down from heaven and plant itself right where I believe current Jerusalem is, this city will have a river that flows from the throne of God and from the throne of the Lamb. Now John says he also sees something else. He says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. So we've got this tree on the sides of the river. It's interesting, the word tree in the Greek is xulon, X-U-L-O-N. It can mean a tree or an object fashioned out of wood or timber. In the Bible, we actually have three trees upon which all of human history hangs. The first tree was in the Garden of Eden. You recall the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can eat of any tree in this garden. In fact, I want you to enjoy every single piece of fruit that you desire in this garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you ever to know evil. And of course, you know what happens when somebody tells us not to do something. Get this sudden craving 
for what we know is not right and not good. And so Adam and Eve took and we know that through that one act of disobedience we all became guilty before God and we lost our place in His paradise. The second tree I want to mention is this tree that we're looking at right now, this tree of life. It's a tree of eternal life. When you eat it, you will live eternally, forever. It was in the garden too. In fact, that's the reason that God had to expel man from the garden and from his presence because of sin, but also as a protective feature because if man had eaten that fruit, he would have lived eternally in separation from God. And God didn't want that. And so he expelled man with the plan of letting man eat at another time of this tree. But in order to eat that tree of the second, the fruit of the second tree, there was a third tree that we need to know about. And that's the tree that Jesus hung on, the cross. Interesting, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that he himself, referring to Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, Xulon, the very same Greek word, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by His wounds you have been healed. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all tasted of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's corrupted us and ruined us. But there is a tree in the kingdom of God awaiting us, the fruit of which gives eternal life. But to taste it, you must first go to the cross to the Sulan of Christ and receive the forgiveness and the fruit of His ministry in order to enter into the fruit of God's eternal ministry in the kingdom to come. Now we're told that these trees bear 12 crops of fruit. It's interesting, we have something unique on this island, a number of beautiful features, but one of them is that there's a lot of agricultural research and development that goes on Kauai. The reason is, is that we can produce three crops of corn a year here. And that really, it, it, it accelerates significantly the advances that they can make in producing infest and uh, insect resistant crops. Crops that yield more than crops they do on the mainland right now. And so it's a, it's a great place for R&D, for agriculture. But in the Garden of Eden and in this garden that we're looking at coming up, this new city of Jerusalem, we're not going to get three crops a year. We're going to get 12 crops a year. Every month they yield fruit. Just the abundance. It's a picture of the, the excessive love of God and the fact that we're not going to want anything. We're going to have everything that we need or can possibly hope for or imagine. And then we're told that these leaves are for healing of the nation. It's actually the word that we get our word therapeutic from. It's going to be therapeutic. And it goes back to the prophecies and the teachings of 1 Peter where he says, by his wounds we have been healed. Our sin has been removed. The, the wounds of the enemy are being healed. But in that moment when we are with God and when you are with God, everything that's left to be done will be completed at that moment. And we are going to be made completely whole. And I, I'm telling you, I can't wait. I'm excited about it and I'm looking forward to it. And the kicker is, is that the Bible says that the curse will be removed. Why? Because of Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Xulon. He took our punishment for corrupting ourselves 
with sin so that we could be free to eat of that tree of life in the kingdom of God. And the Bible says in verse 3 that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And I'm really struck by this passage for several reasons. One is that the idea of His servants serving Him this is, is not a new concept at all in the Bible. In fact, Jesus spoke of it frequently. Let me read you one verse in John 12:26. He's talking to his disciples and he says, "Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also, and my Father will honor the one who serves me." There's going to be no greater privilege, no greater honor, no greater thrill than serving Jesus Christ in the kingdom. And the Bible says that we're going to be doing it continually. And you know, I, I, I have to tell you something. Hey Dana, would you mind kind of turning that fan on me? It's a little, a little warm today. But I have to tell you something that if you don't enjoy serving God now, if serving God out of the abundant overflow of thanksgiving for His grace and His, His goodness to us, if that is not interesting to you, I don't think you're going to enjoy heaven too much. Because in heaven, that's what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking an extreme delight in serving God. It's going to be such an awesome privilege, such a joy. It's not a burden. It's not, oh, some need to fill. It's not like just a bullet announcement and somebody's got to do it. No. It's an honor to serve God. And one of the things that I want to encourage you to be is servants of God. I'm not drumming you for doing anything in the church probably at least 60 to 75% of this church is already serving. So I don't need to say anything. You yourselves are an example of godly Christian service. But excel still more. Make your life count in this life and service to God because it's what we're going to be doing for eternity. And I'll tell you something, the more that you serve God and honor Him with your life, the more you want to serve Him. The more He blesses, the more He honors, the more He lifts up. And every time I give something away to God or you give something away to God in an act of service or devotion or surrender, God, it's just like He dumps ten times as much on you. That's not the reason to do it, though. But He does anyway. He's excessively lavish in His treatment of those who call on Him and serve Him. And these men and women will be serving Him and we will be joining them. The Bible also says that the servants will see His face. Now the Bible has told us in chapter in Exodus that we're, anyone that sees the face of God will surely die. It's pretty frightening. Paul says, well, we kind of see God now through His Spirit. We have a picture of Him, but not clearly. The Bible says it's a poor reflection and, and is, as in a mirror. But, in these last days, in the final things of the kingdom, the Bible says in John 3.2, that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we will see Him just as He is. You are going to have the remarkable privilege of being face to face with God Almighty. I can't imagine what it's going to be like. If He didn't glorify our bodies, we'd melt and turn to dust in an instant. We'd be vaporized. But He's going to give us bodies that have the capacity to be in His holy presence and endure it and live through it. And I guarantee you one thing that's going to happen when that happens. Where do you think you're going to be? Face down. Face down. Flat on your face. Worshipping God. Not out of fear, but out of just an awesome reverence for God. And saying, oh, look at Him. 
I can't, I can't, look at him. You know, we're, it's going to take us probably a few billion years to get to the point where we can just kind of gaze at him intently. Because his awesome splendor will be constantly before us. And you're going to get to see God. Do you know? Can you imagine how many people throughout history have longed to see God? And yet you are guaranteed, if you believe in Jesus Christ, God himself has promised that you will see God if you're a servant of his and call on his name. You can hardly imagine that it's possible. The Bible also says that his servants will bear his name on their foreheads. You remember from our studies in Revelation that everyone's going to have a mark by the time this is all over. You're either going to have the mark of a beast on your forehead or on your hand and thereby eliminate yourself from the kingdom of God. If indeed we are alive during that time, the church will be gone. But there will be those tribulation saints that will come to Christ during that very difficult time. And they will be faced with a very difficult decision. Receiving the mark and getting what they want and need or rejecting it and facing martyrdom. The other mark that we're told about in the scripture is the mark of the seal of God. I don't have time to talk about it again except to just briefly say that if you are a believer, you have already received your mark. It's the deposit of the Holy Spirit, a mark, a sign of ownership of God of your life. But it's a deposit. It's a down payment of what's coming. You already, you're on layaway. And he's coming back for you when everything is done. But you belong to him. The Bible says in this kingdom there's going to be no night, no need for lamps. God is going to be the light. And those who serve him are going to reign with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Now John indicates to us in verse 6 that the angel came to him and said, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. I'm just struck by the fact of the reliability and the trustworthiness and the genuineness and the truthfulness of the word of God. You can take your stand on the word of God. I, I can't even... I wish I had time to give you illustration after illustration after illustration where I took a stand on the Word of God, sometimes in fear and trepidation, not knowing how it would turn out. And every time, God's Word is found to be faithful and true. He is reliable. What He says He will do for those who trust Him and put their faith in Him. Never doubt the Word of God. Never doubt His promises. Put your faith in Him and in His Word and He will see you through and you will have testimonies galore of the power of God to deliver and to rescue. This truthfulness and faithfulness of the Word of God is certainly in contrast to the fallibility of man-made philosophies that pervade our culture. Both just philosophies but also religions that are not of God. And these things are shortly going to take place, these future events, and I'll talk about that in a moment. In verse 7, Jesus himself says, Behold, Kind of an attention-getting word. We don't, I, I don't say it very much. Hey, behold! Coming to the office today. Behold the bulletins. But Jesus says, Behold! 
something a lot more important than anything we could say. I am coming soon. Now, my first question to you, if if you're like me, is it's been 2,000 years. What does he mean he's coming soon? Well, I think that we need to keep in perspective the fact that John's vision links time and eternity in a way that is beyond our human understanding. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, Do not forget one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Why is he waiting so long? Why is he delaying? Why is this soon return taking so long? Listen to what he says. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance and the knowledge of God. It is going to be soon. And I'll tell you something else. Even if in our lifetime it doesn't take place, it is coming soon for us. It's coming soon for you. It came for John Johnson last week. When is it coming for you? We're a breath away from the kingdom of God. We are a heartbeat away from the kingdom of God. It is coming soon. We will shortly be in His presence. But I also believe in the imminent return of Christ, living expectantly, ready constantly, always obeying, always serving, always doing God's will. That is the heart of God's son, of God's daughter. And it needs to be our heart. Now Jesus goes on and He says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I know I've talked about this word blessed before, but I want to say it again. It means how happy, how happy is the man or the woman who keeps God's word. It describes this inner happiness and the spiritual contentment which comes from knowing and trusting the Lord by keeping His word and living by its truths. Let me describe to you briefly what this looks like. What a person is like who who keeps the Word of God, not just the book of Revelation, but the entire Bible, who, who keeps and holds to it. There are two qualities I would suggest to you. The first is that they are a man or a woman who hears the Word of God. They hear the Word of God. They listen to it. They read it. They study it. They are absorbed with the Word of God. They know the Word of God. They memorize the Word of God. But that's not enough. You must do the Word of God. You must apply it to your life. Put it into practice and obey it if you're to experience the benefits of the Word of God. James 1 wraps this up beautifully for us when he says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's a wonderful thing that you hear the Word of God. It's a beautiful thing that you read the Word of God. I I can't encourage you enough to do those things. But it must be obeyed. It must be walked in to be enjoyed to the fullest. And so as you hear the Word of God, immediately, not next week or next year, immediately put it into practice. If it says love one another, don't wait. What are you waiting for? What's the point of waiting? Your breath may be gone tomorrow and it's over. Love one another now. It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and might. Why not do it now? It says to do things that please Him. Why not now? Oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit, even as I'm talking, will stir your hearts up and your heart is saying, yeah, why not now? And that you'll want to walk with the Lord and do His will and honor Him and please Him and serve Him. That's the mark of a true believer. Jesus said, John 14, 21, that if you keep His commandments, that you're demonstrating a genuine love for Him. What are His commandments? Oh, there are lots of them. 
But there are only two you need to worry about. Love God and love others. That's all you have to worry yourself with. Nothing really even to worry about. Love God with everything that you are and love others with everything that you are. And if you do that, Jesus says that you will fulfill every command. Now John at this point in verse 8 is just blown away. He's dumbfounded, he's awestruck, and he's just, he's gaping. I can just see his mouth. It's like, as he sees the revelation of this holy city in chapter 21 and 22 that we're looking at, and he confesses, he says, I'm the one that heard and saw these things, and when I heard and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Now you think after Revelation chapter 19.10, if you've been here for a while, is that John already had this happen once. He was just blown away and he just, just, his knees buckled and he, went, he just went down. And he started worshipping this angel and the angel said, Don't do it! Inappropriate! Stand up! You're making me nervous! You're embarrassing me! This isn't, a, isn't right. Only one is worthy of worship. But here again, just a couple chapters later, I mean, I don't know how long the span of time is, is between these, but it couldn't have been that long in the Revelation. And here John is doing the same thing again. I've heard people, commentators, that that just couldn't imagine that John was so goofy to do this twice in a row that they come up with an interpretation that says that that John is explaining again what he did in chapter 19.20. But he didn't do it again. Well, that's a stretch. I wish we could all say the same about ourselves. We make the mistake once in our life and we never did it again. I think why God allows John to do this and why it happens again is to show us there is a propensity and, a, and a, a, a natural leaning that we have to worship things other than God. We have a tendency to worship the stars and the moon and the heavens and we have a natural tendency to, to worship you know, animals and the earth. And I mean, we will worship the most ridiculous things. We will worship human philosophy. We will worship ourselves. Now that is really unbelievable. I mean, I can understand worshiping somebody else that you don't know that well, but we worship ourselves. I mean, that has got to be the height of just ridiculous pride and arrogance. But we're not to worship anything. And the angel forbids him and says, knock it off. I'm a fellow servant. You see what he says about himself again? A fellow servant. Who's in heaven? Servants of God. Who's before the throne? Servants of God. Who will rule and reign with the Lord? Servants of God. And instead the angel says, Worship God. uh, Jesus himself said in Luke 4, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and worship Him only. Nobody else. Not a pastor. Not a leader. Not some, you know, great Christian man or woman. Nothing's wrong with being inspired by people. But never, ever, ever idolize or worship a person. Ever. Under any circumstances. We're all on the journey together. We're all frail. We all stumble in many ways. The one to worship always is the Lord God. The angel tells John not to seal up the words of these prophecies, which is interesting because so many of prophecies in the Old Testament were sealed up. He says, seal them up for a later time. Well, this is the later time. 
And John says it's not to be sealed. You know what encouragement that gives me? It makes me realize that anybody who wants to can understand the book of Revelation. This is not a book shrouded in mystery that nobody can understand unless you have some guru telling you what it means. All you have to do is read it and take it for what it says. And one of the most wonderful things that people have said about this process through Revelation is they have said over and over and over, it's so simple. I'm not afraid of Revelation anymore. Bless you. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have any fear. It all makes sense now. And I'm thinking to myself, praise God, because it's a book that is not to be sealed, but to be is opened for anyone that wants to read it. Now, we have an interesting little turn of phrases in verse 11. It says, Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong, and him who does what is vile to continue to be vile, and let him who does right continue to do right, and let him who is holy continue to be holy. Kind of uh, fatalistic a little bit, doesn't it sound that way? If you're going to do evil, just keep on going. If you're going to be vile, just keep on being vile. Oh, if you're good and you're working toward holiness and allowing God to, to penetrate your life and change you and transform you, keep going that direction. Well, I think it's a reminder to all of us that we're moving toward one of two directions, toward one of two destinies. Either we're moving closer and closer toward God, that we are becoming holy and that we are doing right. And by doing so, God encourages us and He says, keep doing that, keep going in that direction. But to the ones who are vile and wicked and who are rejecting of God and the message of Christ, He says, I can't seem to stop you. Keep going on in your wickedness. There's a little phrase that I learned a long time ago that has been with me for years. It goes like this. It says, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. All of us in this room are sowing certain things in our life. For the believer, we are to be sowing godliness. Sowing things to our spiritual lives and to the spiritual lives of those around us. Holiness, righteousness, purity, love, obedience. And as we do, God says, keep on going. But for those who insist on sowing wickedness and evil and sin and rebellion, God says, I don't want you to do that. I can't seem to stop you. Your judgment is coming. I pray that I know you so well for the most part. Some of you are newer than others, but I know your heart. And we've got a church that's just blessed with men and women who want to do what's right and good. And my encouragement is let's keep moving in that direction. Let's keep honoring God as we are by obedience. Now Jesus gives his own testimony in verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. You think he's kind of on this? And I would just say to you, Maranatha. He says, I am coming soon, and my response is, Maranatha. Maranatha. He's going to tell us this again. There are th- actually three occasions in this passage, in chapter 22, when he says this. My reward is with me. Reward means wages or what is due a person. You know that your salvation is secure through faith in Christ, but your reward is determined upon your faithfulness and your service to God in this life. So some who have been faithful in service are going to receive a rich reward in the kingdom of God and others who have been busied about with other things in life and have had their life consumed with things that don't last will have a lesser reward. And I'm thinking, why would you want anything less for the junk here? Why would you give up what God has waiting for you for some little trifles here? But it takes wisdom 
and an understanding of what's coming and a faith in God and a belief in His Word to be able to live for that kingdom when we can't see it yet. But it is coming and it will come and He will reward those who are faithful in their service to Him. And so I exhort you, make your life count. I tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to be saying to me and other people who harangued you about this, is thank you, thank you for continuing to exhort us to serve God and make our life count. Look at what He gave me. I can't believe it. Look at all this for me. I was going to waste my life making houses and buying cars and having things. And oh, I'm so glad I didn't waste my life. And we'll all be up there saying the same thing, just astounded at the goodness and generosity of God. And He's going to give to everyone according to His work. Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he says, Blessed are those whose robes are washed. And of course, this is a reference back to Revelation 7.14 where we find the tribulation saints washing their robes. In what? Water? In the blood of Christ. That's how you wash your robe. That's how your robe is washed. By receiving and believing in Jesus. That's the only way you can wash your robe. You can't dry clean it. You can't scrub it. You can't use Tide. It will not get the stain out. But the blood of Christ, ironically, the blood of Christ will make your robe and your righteousness like snow. Those who have their robes washed in such a manner are going to have the privilege, as it says in verse 14, to the right to the tree of life. This word right means authority or the power or the capacity to take this tree of life and also to go through the gates into the city of the kingdom of the eternal God. That's the only way you can get into the kingdom of God. You can't get in through good works and trying to balance it all out. You can't get in by following a certain leader or going a certain direction with a certain theology. The only way to access the tree of life and live eternally and to access the kingdom of God is by washing your heart in the blood of Christ and receiving the forgiveness that He purchased on Calvary. If people don't do that, as verse 15 tells us, the outsiders are going to be eliminated from the kingdom of God. And as we know, they're going to spend eternity in the burning sulfur lake of fire. Now in verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. It's interesting, this word you is not singular, it's plural. This is for all of us. Jesus sent His angel for you to tell you this in advance so that you would know and that you could live your life rightly. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And then there's an invitation. There are three invitations actually. The Spirit and the Bride say come and then let him who hears say come and whoever is thirsty let him come. We've got three people, three categories of people. We've got the Spirit and the Bride that say come. Come is actually in the present imperative format. It means not like, oh, oh, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's come now. Come today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. But come now into the kingdom of God. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time and the day of salvation. Amazingly, the church is linked with the Spirit of God in this joint effort 
of evangelism. This fits exactly with what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 is that you are ambassadors for Christ. You are his, are his agents of reconciliation. And as you go out in the world and as you have friends and neighbor and family and you say, come. Come to Christ. Taste and see how good He is. Find out what He's done. Let me tell you what He's done in my life. As you do that, you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit in these final chapter of the Bible in these final verses and you are a participant with God in ushering men and women into this divine kingdom where there are joys unspeakable that will last for eternity interestingly it says let him who hears say come we got a chain going here the spirit in the church ourselves cooperating with God's message of reconciliation telling someone else someone else comes to Christ their life is transformed and the Spirit says and let him who hears say come so that person is saying come to others and on it goes there needs to be a constant chain a constant penetration of the world with our lives we can't allow ourselves to hear the message of Christ and stop it up in ourselves and say I'm glad I'm saved and wait for the coming of the King We are obligated to give it away. And whoever is thirsty, for those that may not hear the message directly from our lips, God gives a blanket invitation, come and drink of this eternal life. Now in verse 18, there's a very stern warning here. And we need to take this extremely seriously. It's solemn, it's important, and we need to take heed. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. That's not anything anybody wants to experience. And if anyone takes away words from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. The question is, how do we add to or take away from the word of God? Well, I've just got a couple of ways that we can do that. There's certainly many. One of the ways that we can add to the Word of God is that we can claim that there needs to be another additional revelation besides the Bible. It's the Bible plus the Book of Mormon. It's the Bible plus the teachings of the Catholic Church. It's the Bible plus the teachings of this particular guru. It's the Bible plus the New Age aura readings that we want to do. It's the Bible plus. The Bible says if you add anything to the word of God especially to these prophecies of the last days that you are going to incur the judgment of God he will not tolerate it he will not accept it so anytime anybody wants to tell you that it's got to be this plus something else stand aside and away reject that counsel and begin to pray earnestly for that person that their eyes will be open to the truth because they are facing the judgment of God There are also those that claim an advanced knowledge. This happens in churches more than often than not. People that have this advanced spiritual insight into the heavenly realm and into demonic into the demonic world. And they, above all others, are able to identify spirits and able to identify with the work of God, and they are able to hear the word of God and and they know that nobody else, you've got to come to me. I'm the guy with that knowledge. I'm the guy with that insight. And this happens in a lot of churches today. It's even happening on this island. Beware. God says if you add to his word, 
you will incur his judgment. But there are also those that take away from the Word of God by saying that the Bible is unreliable. It's not inspired. It's not trustworthy. The text is skewed. The text is written by men. It's not something that you can put your confidence in. People like that are going to be bereft of the tree of life and of access into the kingdom of God. They will not be in the kingdom of God. Be so careful. We have nothing to fear if we stay with the word of God. It's absolutely reliable, absolutely trustworthy. You can stand on it. You can stake your life on it. Do what it says, even though you may have misgivings or doubts about whether this is going to turn out okay if I give it to God. If I trust God to do it His way, do it. And taste. And you will find that God will honor His Word 100% of the time. Always do God's Word. Always obey it. Always honor it. And God will honor you. And He will lift you up and exalt you. Now we have a closing promise of Jesus who gives this testimony. He says, Yes, I am coming soon. Maranatha! 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 And he says, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. He's like an agreement. He wants it. He wants it now. Remember, John has seen it all. He sees what's coming and yet he has to come back to earth. He has to be released from this vision, this holy vision. And he has to come back. I, I imagine it's kind of like those near-death experiences that I've heard people talk about where they, they, they're walking toward the light. And I don't know how true all these are, but walking toward the light and they see Jesus and it's just like the peace and the, the beauty of the experience is overwhelming and he says, it's not time and he sends them back and I'm thinking, oh, bummer. You know, it's like, That's got to be a big bummer. And John... Was, had seen face to face the Lord and he saw the glory of God and he saw the kingdom coming down and Jesus said, okay, go back and tell everybody about it. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I mean, it, it had to be hard for him. And so he's saying, amen, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha, Maranatha. And I want to finish with John's prayer, his benediction, very appropriate, a fitting conclusion to our study of this remarkable book. He says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We do it as, as a family, as an eternal family of God. Jesus broke the bread and He said, Take it and eat it in remembrance of Me. Don't forget. Don't forget what He's done. And don't forget what He wants to do. And don't forget your destiny. And don't forget the eternal kingdom that's coming. And don't forget the reward that He has promised you. And don't forget that shortly we're going to see Him face to face. And after He took the bread, He took the cup. And He said, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. And He said, Drink it as often as you do in remembrance of Me. Wash in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that gives us access. Not this grape juice. This is just a remembrance of what He's already done through the finished work of Christ received by faith. So as you're ready and the worship team shares with us, just come forward and get communion and if you can return to your seats and then we'll take communion together.
Aloha. I just wanted to take a moment at the end of our broadcast to thank you for watching. I'm delighted to discover how many people, just like yourself, are enjoying these broadcasts and are benefiting from the teaching of God's Word. In Isaiah 55:11, the Lord says that His Word will never return empty, but it will always accomplish the purpose for which He sent it. And so it's our prayer and confident assurance that God will accomplish His purpose in your life as well. If you aren't currently attending a church, I'd like to personally invite you to consider joining us at Calvary Chapel, Kauai. We have our services at Kauai Village Shopping Center right behind the waterfall that you see now and our services at 8 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We'd be delighted to meet you and to fellowship and worship the Lord together. Well, until next time, can I encourage you to make your life count? The Bible tells us that nothing else will last except what you do for Christ. And so live for Christ and for His kingdom and may God richly bless you as you love and serve Him. Mahalo.